Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Snapshots Live, San Francisco Public Works' monthly webinar series. I am Komate, Public Information Officer with our Construction Management Team. This month, we'll be talking about streetscapes. Today, we are joined by Carol Huang, Project Manager with our Streetscapes Program, Paul Baradis, Project Manager with our Street Resurfacing Program, and Mike Rieger, the Deputy Director of the East Cut Community Benefit District. Together, they're gonna to share what it takes to design, build, maintain our streetscapes found all across the city and their various design and safety elements. Please take note that this Zoom session is being recorded, so please be mindful of that. Also, there will be a Q&A session at the end of this presentation, so feel free to start sending in your questions through the chat at any time. So now, to start things off, I'll hand it over to Carol. Thank you, Koma. Hi, everyone. I would like to start giving everyone an overview of the streetscape projects in San Francisco. San Francisco's policies encourage the design and development of better streets that work for all users. Designing better street means considering streets role in the overall transportation network and including facilities appropriate to that role. And to also strike for a balance for all users regardless of physical abilities or mode of travel. And to also maximize features for the comfort, usability and aesthetics for people walking. A typical streetscape project may include design for enhancement of transportation and bike facilities, cultural identification and public art elements and associated utility improvements and streets resurfacing. Therefore, communication and community outreach is very important for streetscape project development in order to understand the needs from all users and also meet their expectations. Throughout the project timeline, and lifetime, the project team often engage with different organizations, merchants, groups, community groups, the CBDs, and other stakeholders to collaborate for the implementation of streetscape elements. During today's webinar, all of us will discuss some of the streetscape projects that we worked on or managed in the past. Um, and we would like to share with you some of the highlights of each project. And with that, I would like to pass over to Paul to discuss the Upper Haight Transit Improvements Project. Thanks, Carol. As Coma mentioned, my name is Paul Barretis. I've been with the city and county of San Francisco Public Works for about 15 years, implementing many types of streetscape projects and roadway projects and infrastructure projects throughout the city. Today, I'll go over the Upper Haight Transit Improvement and Pedestrian Realm Project. As Carol mentioned, streetscape projects are key for progressing dense urban city life. They increase livability and are often accompanied by infrastructure upgrades. The Upper Upper Haight Street project did both. The project is located along 10 blocks along Haight Street between Central and Stanyon, going up to the edge of Golden Gate Park. As most everyone knows, the Haight and Ashbury area is an iconic world known neighborhood. And the project goals were to update the infrastructure, increase transit effectiveness, and install enhancements without losing its world renowned character. The project was sponsored by Public Works, the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, SFMTA, the Public Utilities Commission, SFPUC, and the Department of Technology. The work included four traffic signal upgrades, 14 sidewalk extensions at the corners, or what we refer to as bulb outs, three bus sidewalk extensions to assist with passenger loading and unloading, uh, more than 70 pedestrian scale lights, over 40 new trees, 
eight new sidewalk planners, new trash receptacles, new wastewater pipes, and paving throughout the 10 blocks. The goals of the project were to increase transit times th through the traffic signal upgrades, bus buildouts, and paving, improve the infrastructure with upgrades to the new sparkle sidewalks throughout the corridor, new roadway paving throughout the corridor, wastewater pipe upgrades, and installation of fiber conduits. And to provide some enhancements throughout the, the corridor with you know, installation of new trees, new pedestrian lights, and the new sparkling sidewalk. The plan to improve the corridor was a community-driven process, which included neighborhood meetings where the neighbors and merchants mentioned their concerns for a safer Haight Street. Construction on projects nearby this area left this community wary of construction. So we had to coordinate very closely with the 100 plus businesses on the corridor that opened their front doors to the construction of this project every day. Um, and we had to create very careful work zones to make sure we heard the concerns of the community. The project hosted many monthly meetings with the Businesses Association. Construction, as Carol mentioned, is a challenge with these corridor projects as the construction takes place while keeping the area generally open for use. For example, the project was broken down into phases and even some phases per block to minimize disruption to the businesses, especially during the sidewalk construction where access to front doors of the businesses was impacted. The project had a goal to finish a quarter early. It was a two year long project and we tried to finish a quarter early. Um, and with the assistance of partnering, we were able to achieve this goal. Additionally, there were no reportable injuries on the, on the project. There was excellent housekeeping, which kept inquiries and complaints from the neighborhood and merchants at a minimum. And because the whole project team had a passion for this project, responsiveness to all the issues was very high and we were able to come to conclusions and resolve issues very quickly on this project. Being able to have a bit more daily construction through the COVID-19 pandemic also assisted with the partnering goals of finishing majority of the work in the one and a half years or, or almost about six months early. The community hosted a ribbon cutting event for this project in the summer of 2021. It is a major effort to implement these corridor projects and I'd like to thank the staff from, the, from planners to finance and accounting and especially the design, construction management and contract to community that do most of the work for these projects. This historical and world known corridor is now open for use. Thank you and back to you Carol for the 19th Avenue project. Thank you, Paul. With the uh, with you know the conclusion of the Upper Hate project, I would like to give you a little more information about another project that is actually currently in the construction. The 19th Ave Combined City project in, is actually happening, uh, taking place on 19th Avenue. Um, the scope is between Lincoln Way and Holloway Avenue. 19th Avenue is also a state route on Caltrans right of way, which is falling under Caltrans jurisdiction. Um, the project is currently under construction and it's expected to complete in spring 2023. Next slide, please. During all phases of the project, the city coordinates with Caltrans closely to obtain design approval and coachman permit by resurfacing improvements. The city is responsible for a wide array of street and transportation improvements and Caltrans will pave 19th Avenue after the city project is concluded. 
Um, the project scope includes, you know, sewer main replacement, rehabilitation, upgrades to the portable emergency firefighting water system, um, curb ramp installation, pedestrian bulb belts, transit bulbs, um, and also traffic signal work, um, as well as some of the base repair that's taking place on 19th Avenue. Um, and 19th Avenue is a major north-south corridor on the west side of the city. Um, it's one of the very you know, high injury corridors that have most severe um, traffic injuries in San Francisco. Um, during the project development, um, you know, we, we actually have really broad input um, from the communities, including local businesses, um, neighborhood groups, schools, and community organizations. Um, during outreach efforts, um, we mailed over, you know, more than a thousand postcards to the residents. Um, we distributed over a thousand project information flyers to the Muni customers. Um, we also engaged with 24 local um, neighborhood groups and also contacted like more than 10 local schools and in order to coordinate the project for both design and construction. We'd also met with more than 15 local businesses and collected over 150 completed survey um, in order to prepare for the project for construction. You know, during construction and also before construction, we closely work with our stakeholders to make sure everyone is clear on the timeline um, and to make sure that we have um, some you know, pre-construction planning um, and also uh, traffic routing. Um, on this slide, you can kind of see you know, one of the photos that we're trying to prepare for the uh, transit bulb construction on 19th Avenue near Lincoln Way. Uh, most of the time we are only closing, you know, one travel lane plus the parking lane, but there are some times that we need to close more than that. Um, so we do need to coordinate with Caltrans, um, Rec and Park in order to plan for um, the rerouting of the, you know, the users, the traffic, um, the vehicles to another route such as Sunset Avenue, Sunset Boulevard, or, you know, some other major corridors within the city. Um, and, you know, I also wanted to shout out to our construction management team that does a really good job on communicating and coordinating with Caltrans. Um, and we also have a really good contractor that is willing to work with us all the time. Um, and MTA traffic engineers also try to be on site, you know, a lot of times and make sure that we have pre-construction planning. And I think communication with, you know, public is, is the key and also communication within the team and with the contractor with, you know, other stakeholders is also a key to bring to successful, um, you know, bring, bring success to the project. Um, you know, we are like halfway into the construction and so far it's really good. And we're trying to minimize, you know, impacts to the businesses and, and constituents. And we also receive some good words from the public. So I'm hoping that we continue keeping up the good work and, you know, I'm really looking forward to a successful um, project construction. So with the, this slide and also two more slides, um, you know, you will see some photos that we taken during construction. Um, these are some of the photos that were taken for the completed work on Irving Street and Kirkham um, for some of the water main relocation um, required for the bulb out construction. Um, as we are actually constructing the pedestrian and transit bulb outs, um, from time to time, we do need to relocate the existing utilities such as water main or um, fire hydrant relocation. Um, there will also be a need for a catch basin relocation that, that is involved with you know, all type of streetscape improvements. For this particular 19th um, combined city project, so kind of partnering um, with us in order to you know, improve their overall um, sewer main and uh, water main They're in order to um, in order to enhance um, the services providing to the residents 
you know, within the neighborhood. Um, there's also improvements on the portable emergency firefighter system. Um, there's also another, um, you know, earthquake um, emergency firefighting system that will be introduced and installed as part of our project at the later phase. Next slide. And on this one, you can kind of see some of the completed work on 19 app. Um, even though there's some, you know, traffic signal work will be kind of, you know, continue to be installed as part of our project. Um, we are pleased that some of the new bulb outs and curb ramps are already in place um, for the residents to be used on 19 Avenue. Um, we're hoping to continue adding more of these bulb outs and curb ramps um, around the, the neighborhood and also around the city um, in order to reduce pedestrian walking distance and also provide traffic calming um, purposes. Thank you. And this slide is actually showing, you know, one of the new extended sidewalk and um, transit bulb that we installed on 19th Avenue um, that the contractor put up some barricades in order to, um, you know, route traffic properly for, in order for them to make this work happen. With this, I would like to conclude a highlights on 19th Avenue and would like to give you a little bit more information on another project that I worked on, which is the Upper Market Project. Um, the Upper Market Corridor Safety Improvements Project is also under construction, is expected to be completed around summer next year. Um, we also, we're all, the team is all um, trying to have the completion prior to the next Pride event in June, 2022. The Upper Market Project includes core Vision Zero safety improvements and streetscape elements. Um, during construction, um, we conducted a lot of outreach with um, other stakeholders and also conduct a lot of studies um, that you know, we're trying to come up with the scope of the project. Next slide, please. As you may see, um, Market Street is actually a really you know, high use corridor. Um, all, you know, not, not just you know, vehicular users, pedestrians, but also has dedicated bikeways for um, bicyclists to be used on Market Street. Um, we have done circulation study during design in order to obtain traffic signal and turn movements recommendation and in order to enhance the overall safety for the corridor. And, and during all, phase of the, all phases of the project, um, we tried to engage with public, um, with the public by throwing public events, open houses um, to communicate with the public and also collect um, survey results to develop design concepts for the streets, for the sidewalks, and curb space management and streetscape elements. And as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, for some of those community community groups that we engage that it includes Castro merchants um, and the Castro CBD, you know, several local, local um, community groups that we constantly coordinate with them. And, um, you know, in, in the future slide, you can actually see some of the custom elements that we actually work closely with Castro CBD to come up. For the overall project scope, um, the project is actually on Marcus Street between Castro and Octavia Streets. The project includes um, sidewalk widening and other accessibility upgrades. A lot of the work is actually happening mostly, you know, at the intersections, um, but there's still also some like we are actually adding to the medians. Um, so, you know, I don't know if this rendering is a little bit too small for everyone to view, um, but, you know, in order to, in addition to the sidewalk widening, there's also new traffic signal and modification at 
most of the intersections. Um, we are also enhancing the traffic boarding islands um, and you will see some of the custom elements in the next slide. Um, in, a, in addition to the scope that I just mentioned, um, we are also trying to enhance um, the bikeway um, by providing dedicated medians to protect the byways or um, we're kind of reducing um, you know, some of the roadway area um, in order to, you know, by using, by maximizing or widening sidewalk to reduce the pedestrian walking, overall walking distance. Um, you know, some of the new streetscape amenities, including like, you know, what I mentioned, the uplighting and also decorated crosswalk um, and, um, you know, some of the custom features. With this, I wanted to move to the next slide so that you can see some of the custom features. Um, you know, some of the uplighting that we are adding um, will be light lightening the palm trees along the existing median. Um, and then after the project, you will be able to see some of the custom bi-racks and um, custom boarding island railings that we are trying to add to the co this corridor. Um, on top of it, we are also coordinating with the Rainbow on the Walk organization to install additional Rainbow on the Walk plaques on the sidewalk. Um, between 15th and Castro area on market. Um, and as part of the project, we will be introducing more decorated crosswalk at 15th and Centrist and Laguna and market intersection. Next slide. And with the last slide, I wanted to kind of show you some of the construction, um, you know, activities that has been ongoing. We had already started some of the median work um, and uplighting work on Market Street. So if, if you, you know, ever to go on to Market Street, you may be able to see our contractor working every day on Market Street. Um, we're currently working between 14th and Octavia um, as our first segment, and we're trying to complete all the scope be between before the holiday moratorium. And um, we're hoping to um, work on the, the segment that is closer to Castro, which is between 14 and Castro next year. Um, and um, the reason for that is, you know, we, during pre-construction meeting, we were having discussion with our supervisor's office and um, there was some suggestions that we received from their, from their end, um, you know, on our construction time, timeline and also some suggestion on the coordination of F-Line shutdown for the need of the, uh, of the for the need of the, some of the well, project scope that needs to be completed. With that, I would like to, Mike, to introduce to us about the East Coast CBD and also some of the projects that he worked on. Thank you, Carol. Um, so just as uh, to reiterate, uh, my name is Mike Rieger. I am the deputy director of the East Cut Community Benefit District. Um, and as some background, I've been with the CBD for about two and a half years. And prior to that, uh, I was a project manager for Streetscapes for Public Works for nearly seven years. Um, so the East Cut Community Benefit District was established in 2015 uh, with the first full year of operations in 2016. Um, if you're at all familiar with the neighborhood, uh, you're probably aware that it used to be mainly a touchdown for I-80 freeway, the Bay Bridge. Um, there were off-ramps, uh, parking lots, and light industrial. Um, and over the last 10 to 20 years, uh, there's been a ton of development with some of the tallest buildings in the city. Um, there are approximately 8,000 housing units now in the neighborhood. So um, there's a pretty large residential population uh, in addition to the workforce that is there. Um, our district covers approximately nine miles of city sidewalk 
uh, in the area is about 140 acres. Um, in terms of the boundary, we're generally bound by Second Street on the west, Mission Street on the north, Stewart Street on the east, and the I-80 Freeway uh, and Harrison on the south. Um, the East Cut CBD, as with all CBDs, is funded by property tax assessments, um, and our yearly budget is approximately $4 million. Uh, our street services team provides 24-7, 365 clean and safety services throughout the neighborhood, and our office staff implement community placemaking projects and host neighborhood activities to advance the quality of life for residents, visitors, and workers. Uh, we also have a large hand in the management of neighborhood parks, including Emerald Park on Harrison and Guy Place Mini Park on Guy Place. Uh, and we provide 80% of the operational funding for Salesforce Park at Salesforce Transit Center. Um, we also have future parks uh, that will come online soon, including Transbay Block 3 Park, which is currently being designed by Public Works Bureau of Landscape Architecture, uh, as well as Underramp Park, which will be under the bus bridge to the Transit Center uh, on the west side of the district. Next slide. Uh, so I'm going to talk about three projects that are within the CBD, uh, streetscape projects that Public Works uh, is, has implemented or is implementing. Um, Second Street is the first. Uh, that is one project. When I was with Public Works, I was the project manager for it. Um, and uh, just to coordinate with the CBD, um, Second Street, there really wasn't any coordination with the CBD at the time. Uh, mainly because the CBD didn't have its first year of operations until 2016 and Second Street went into construction in 2017. Uh, so a lot of the initial planning and outreach, there was no CBD to coordinate with. Um, Transbay Folsom, uh, it was had substantial completion in February of this year, but um, for all intents and purposes, it, it mainly finished up in July. Um, that project was sponsored by the Office, Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure uh, and was designed by CMG Landscape Architecture. However, Public Works did manage the construction. Uh, and the East Cut worked with OCII and CMG to add branding to the bus islands on the project, uh, as well as select uh, furnishings for the sidewalks. Uh, and we're also currently discussing a maintenance MOU with Public Works for Folsom. And then the last project is Harrison Streetscape, uh, which just started construction this week. Um, and early on in the design process, the CBD was brought in to coordinate um, for the Bill Street Bridge improvements, which Harrison Street spans over Bill Street, uh, and then also future maintenance, which helped inform the overall design. Next slide. Uh, so Second Street, um, is approximately a $30 million project. I think when all was said and done, uh, it was an eight block span uh, from Market to King Streets. Um, and it included dedicated bike lanes. Um, there were new street and pedestrian lighting, widened sidewalks from Harrison to Townsend, bus boarding islands, uh, overhead utility undergrounding from Stillman to Townsend, uh, raised crosswalks at the alleyways, new traffic signals, new street trees, road repaving, and sewer rehabilitation. Uh, next slide. Uh, so here's a shot of the completed project. Um, this is in the northern part of Second Street, which is within the East Cut CBD. 
this is looking northbound towards Mission. Um, you can see the bike lanes here are vertically raised, which was intended to keep cars out. However, um, that didn't really happen. Cars and delivery trucks uh, often would pull into the bike lanes, so safe hit posts, posts were added. Um, and I think overall, the SFMTA shifted their approach to bike lanes since this project was completed. Um, and a lot of the quick build projects you see around the neighborhood, uh, they're utilizing safe hits to keep cars separated from bikes. Next slide. Uh, here is an image of part of the Second Street Improvement Project, which was added during construction. Uh, this was when I was still managing the project. The TJPA reached out to Public Works to improve Natoma, uh, just east of Second. And this is essentially acting as the pedestrian entrance to the transit center from the west. Um, and so the TJPA funded the design and construction of this change order. Um, you can see it's essentially a shared street uh, where cars can still pull in here to unload, uh, but it's highly emphasized for pedestrian use. And so one of the things that the CBD has uh, made use of for this uh, space is as a community space. Um, and we've held events here uh, and community activations, and we hope to clo close it to traffic at some point uh, to create a small plaza. And so uh, if anyone from BSM is on this call, look out for an encroachment permit coming from the CBD at some point to uh, add a gate for this segment. Next slide. Um, so as I noted, the project moved into construction during the first couple of years of CBD operations. So there was little coordination, however, um, I was able to keep in contact with the project managers that replaced me uh, when I moved to the CBD and make sure the community was updated uh, with all of the uh, movements during construction and also notify the project team of any issues that came up with the plantings uh, just so that we made sure everything was being implemented as desired. Um, and you know, the CBD just provides that additional level of eyes on the street uh, to keep the city notified of any project issues. Next slide. So the uh, Folsom Streetscape project is very, very similar to Second Street in terms of scope. Uh, it is Second Street to Spear Street, and it included dedicated bike lanes, sidewalk bulbouts, bus boarding islands, uh, rain gardens at the intersections, uh, including sidewalk planting, new street trees, uh, street and pedestrian lighting, special sidewalk paving, uh, sidewalk furnishings, road repaving, and sewer rehabilitation. Next slide. So uh, one of the unique things about Trans Bay Folsom uh, is the diverse planting palette for the rain gardens and sidewalk planting. Um, I think one of the benefits of having this project run directly through the CBD and being a major artery of the CBD is that um, the CBD is available to maintain these plants after the establishment period is over by the contractor. Um, and so there can be a greater emphasis on elements requiring added care when you have a community organization like CBD in place. Next slide. Uh, this is an image of the uh, different project elements for uh, Folsom. Uh, you can see special sidewalk paving um, and of note, are the bench and chairs that you see on this slide. Uh, that style of furnishing was selected by the CBD as essentially the East Cut um, chair, if you will. Uh, and so 
we were able to have these added to the project. And if you walk the site, um, you'll see them in various colors. Uh, the color palette actually is the CBD's color palette. So we were able to implement some of our branding to help sort of create that narrative of a cohesive neighborhood. Uh, next slide. Um, so as I said, the project essentially completed this last summer um, and it's quickly becoming the neighborhood pedestrian bike thoroughfare envisioned. Um, there are a lot of new restaurants and businesses opening up on the street and tons of pedestrian activity, even through COVID. Next slide. Um, the la uh, or One of the things I wanted to highlight is uh, on the bus boarding islands for the 12 Folsom, we were able to incorporate more of the CBD branding you can see here. Uh, on the barricades. Uh, this is from our branding package. And um, actually, if you look in the background there at the top, you can see it sort of coincides with our uh, banners for our district. Next slide. Um, this last shot here, uh, it's just looking eastward uh, at Fremont. You can see the sidewalk plantings um, and the bike lanes obviously separated from traffic. Um, this is just really becoming one of the best streets in the district as we had, had envisioned uh, it being a neighborhood hub for uh, basically a bridge between the residential uh, towers and the commercial activity to the north of Folsom. Next slide. So the last project here, Harrison Streetscape. Um, this one is a little less intensive in scope compared to Folsom and Second Street. Uh, but it will be a great improvement for Harrison. Um, there will be pedestrian bulb outs at the intersections, uh, new trees, sidewalk unit pavers, sidewalk planting, new lighting, roadway paving, and sewer rehabilitation. Uh, next slide. Uh, the one thing I wanted to know, but note about this, which I mentioned previously, is that the CBD was included early in the design process for Harrison Streetscape. Um, we have been coordinating future maintenance of the sidewalk plantings. Uh, and responsibility as well as improvements to the Beale Street Bridge. Um, and so the Beale Street Bridge has two stairways that go from Harrison above down to Beale Street. Uh, and so we wanted to add some safety improvements to those stairways. So uh, we're fixing some broken items within the stairs, adding some lighting, uh, opening up the entryways to the stairs so more light gets in. Um, and then we're also adding new paint and a mural to the bridge. Uh, and lastly, we advocated for a new electrical correct connection uh, with PG&E, which the CBD will pay the bill for, but that will facilitate uh, new lighting under the bridge for that will probably utilize an artist to create a concept for. Uh, next slide. And that concludes my presentation. I will hand it back over to Carol to finish up. Thank you, Mike. With the support of all the different type of funding, like local funding and bond funding, impact fees and state uh, federal um, grants and general fund, um, also the support you know, from the CBD and local engagement, we're able to you know, develop you know, a lot of good streetscape projects um, around the city. And there's a lot of upcoming streetscape projects you know, will be coming to the city. Um, this list on the, on the slide obviously doesn't really represent all the upcoming projects that we will have. Um, I do wanted to highlight a few um, that we have some rendering that's shown on this slide, um, such as the Embarcadero Enhancement Project, which is under the design phase. Um, this project will enhance safety and mobility along the Embarcadero Corridor. Um, 
place along the central segment between Broadway and Mission Street, and also the southern segment between Folsom and Townsend Street. Um, and we also will be having the Minna-Latoma project upcoming um, under construction within the city as well. Um, it's currently under the design phase. It's a project that we partnered with the um, SF Arts Commission um, in order to, to transform Mena and Latoma streets near the transit center. Um, and we also have the active build project that I think Mike um, may talk a little bit earlier. Um, and this is, this project will be, you know, will be, it's actually part of the uh, downtown, South downtown design activation plan. Um, it will be implemented into two phases um, to include transit only lane, protected two-way cycle track, wider sidewalks and landscape improvements on Bill Street between Market and Folsom Streets. Before I conclude the presentation, I really wanted to thank um, our public affairs team for you know, really helping us on all these streetscape projects in, in terms of public outreach. Um, I also wanted to thank um, our design team, um, you know, electrical team, uh, structural system highways for leading the project and hydraulics for you know, working on the utility composite and designing you know, all those utility relocation um, related to sewer work and also our landscape architect team for you know developing all these nice renderings and designs and conceptual design in order to make the streetscape project complete and you know so that we can actually enhance the overall city and you know bring all the users to a nicer and safer environment. With this I would like to conclude our presentation and I would like to pass back to Coma to conduct the Q&A section. Great. Thank you, Carol, Paul, and Mike, and all of you for joining us today to learn more about streetscapes. I had the chance to work on a number of the streetscape projects mentioned in today's presentation by our panelists as a public information officer, and it's great to see all of the amazing and positive impacts these projects bring to the different communities around the city and to learn more about how these uh, streetscape projects get from design to construction. So now let's dive into some questions that have come in. Remember, you can submit your questions about streetscapes for any of our panelists through the Q&A box or through the chat. Our first question is for Carol from Alfonso. Uh, how has the public responded um, with the Upper Market Street Safety Project? Has it been favorable, negative, anything you can give into the insight with regards to the outreach and how the public has responded? Sure. Um, yeah, definitely the public loved this project and, you know, not just the public, the merchants and uh, Castro CBD, they, they welcome and they really look forward to this project. And we actually started planning and designing this project even back in 2015, <laughs> but because of like some design changes and also COVID, um, we kind of have to kind of, you know, push the project a little bit, but all the community members and, um, and constituents, all constituents are looking forward to this project. Um, they can't wait to see the custom features, um, the bowbows and also the uplighting along the median. Um, and a lot of the constituents that we uh, try to provide updates recently, they, they really, you know, really hope that the project can complete prior to, prior to the next Pride. So then when we have the Pride event, we'll have a brand new um, streetscape improvements on market near Castro um, for, you know, for the visitor to visit. Great, thank you. Uh, our next question and comment comes from Patrick. Shout out to our public affairs PIOs on all of these streetscape projects. And what are some of the lessons learned with regards to engaging with residents and businesses prior to the start of construction that can be used on future streetscape projects? 
Um, so I think I can handle this one. So as a public information officer over the years, uh, we've worked on you know, some projects such as uh, Polk Street, Second Street, Jefferson. And what we find time and time again is that providing timely updates and accurate information from what the contractor is planning to do on site really helps the public understand what's going on. And we find that as, you know, when members of the public and businesses understand what's happening, the amount of complaints and calls to um, the city go down drastically. So I think just keeping um, everyone as up-to-date as possible has been a big help. We do, uh, we've implemented regular site walks with community groups on site throughout construction, such as on Jefferson Street. We met weekly with the CBD out there to walk the site with our CM team to identify issues that could be addressed for the upcoming week. Um, so we find that just having more interaction and providing accurate and timely information really helps uh, kind of quell all of the concerns that come with uh, big construction projects, especially for businesses um, that are trying to uh, recover, you know, especially over the past year and a half. Okay, uh, so our next question comes from, uh, is actually for Carol or Paul. Uh, you mentioned that it takes a lot of community outreach and engagement to make a streetscape project that fulfills a neighborhood's needs. Um, has COVID complicated this process at all? And especially since uh, you can't hold in-person community meetings like we used to be able to do. I could, I could try this one first, Coma. Um, yeah, I think a well thought out construction plan and we're able, you know, if you wanna take the community's feedback, we don't dictate a means and methods to our contractor, but we can, you know, at least voice some of the concerns from the neighborhood. Also, um, if, if you need to reach out to the, if your project uh, can't afford it or is it's part of your project, if you have um, the Office of Economic Workforce Development help out, we had them help out during this, uh, on the Upper Hay project during the COVID times, they put some, some banners and some outreach material within the muni buses to let everyone know that although there's um, you know, restrictions in place, there's the, the corridor still open for business um, so those are some of the things that we, we did on the Upper Hate Project. And yeah, community meetings are a little more challenging, um, but, you know, we have some tools now. We had Zoom meetings once a month, phone calls if you needed to call into the meeting. Um, so it did take a little bit of adapting, but um, at least there's some tools available. Great, thank you. Yeah. And I wanted to add to what Paul just commented and, you know, it, 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 with COVID, it does add a little more complication in terms of like presenting our design concepts. Um, you know, there are some projects that, you know, uh, instead of having the in-person um, presentation that we can have like the public kind of give us immediate com uh, comments and feedback and, and sometimes they can actually draw on the concept to give us comments. Um, we have to kind of do all those things uh, through virtual events, um, but it still works really, really well for the projects that we had. And, um, you know, obviously we're not able to, you know, have that in-person interaction, but um, we are able to use technology to demonstrate our slides and, you know, our conceptual presentation. So it's also another, you know, we also gain some benefits from, you know, doing it virtually. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I think um, obviously at the very beginning, it does create a little more complication um, for construction just because like we need to make sure all the contractors are kind of following all the guidelines. Everyone needs to wear masks. Um, but, you know, you know, I, I think, 
throughout the entire process, like the 19 app project, we kind of started before, um, like, you know, around COVID. And then we kind of continued the whole time, you know, during COVID. And, you know, the project was really successful so far. And then, you know, it worked really smoothly. And our contractor and, you know, the entire team was able to comply into the COVID requirements. So it's, it's, it's good. Great. And the next question is from Mike. Uh, you mentioned that the environmental approval and impact process for the Second Street project took about three years to complete. Is this typical for a large streetscape project or was this project unique in that regard? Um, anything you can share um, that might give us some more insight into uh, this process? Sure. Um, so I didn't touch so much um, in this presentation on that environmental, um, but it, it was a three-year process and it was very much extended um, partially because, you know, what we were doing on Second Street at the time was not typical in the city. I think the only other project implementing such a change in bike infrastructure was Masonic. Um, and so uh, we had to do a transportation impact study, which was, uh, you know, a, about a year process. And then we had to go through CEQA, uh, uh, and at that time, um, they were evaluating our project based on uh, level of service at the intersections. So how long cars were delayed by the potential, potential change in traffic signals uh, for the bike infrastructure. Uh, now they, the CEQA has changed to vehicle miles traveled. So Second Street today under that metric would not be a, a significant impact. Um, so it probably would have gone a lot quicker in that regard uh, if it were done today. Um, and we also had federal funding on the project. So we also had to go through NEPA. Um, so it's not typical. Um, it was a pretty big deal at the time for what we were doing on Second Street. But uh, anymore, I think these projects for bike infrastructure are becoming much more regular. Um, and that's why you see a lot of the quick build projects happening uh, by the MTA, Howard Street, uh, running through the East Cut is one example that they basically came in and, and threw down new paints and some safe hit posts. And now we have a dedicated bike lane in very little time. Great, thank you, Mike. Um, another question, uh, this one for Carol. Uh, how often does Public Works uh, work directly with Caltrans? And are there any challenges that you can share um, of collaborating with a, state, um, with a state level agency like that? Sure. Uh, I mean, there there are projects that are usually if it's near freeway on ramp and off ramp or you know underneath the freeway, then we do need to coordinate with Cal Transport and Coachman permit. But 19 Ave is very different. It's actually you know having improvements directly on state state route. It's very similar to the Lombard Vision Zero that we recently completed, and also the then uh, SBRT project is currently ongoing. Um, I do want to say there are not that many you know, Caltrans corridor within the city. And technically speaking, is really just those three that I just mentioned, 19, Ave, 19 Avenue and Lombard Street and also Van SBRT. Um, definitely for 19 Avenue project, when we're working with Caltrans, it's a little bit more complicated than, you know, a typical city public works project to make sure Caltrans is also, you know, agreeing with the design and we also kind of comply with all their um, specifications and requirements. And on top of that, there's also, um, you know, other process that we need to go through, such as like right-of-way um, certification that we need to obtain. Um, 
and um, you know some other a lot of other memos and you know description and reports that we need to provide to Caltrans in order to get their approval, which is part of the design review process. Um, I want to say not that many projects will require that you know that type of tedious process, but um, um, there there are some, and we actually did some like which is lumbar and then as is actually happening and you know hopefully um you know we don't we don't have a lot of these complex projects but at least with you know those projects that are already completed or under construction right now we have the experience so in the future it will be a, a lot smoother um, for future projects Great. and a kind of follow-up to that regarding 19th avenue a question that came in through the chat from uh, winnie uh, how do you ensure traffic obstruction is minimized during construction on a project like 19th Avenue, since it's a very busy corridor. Yeah, so, you know, there's definitely some impact to the corridor just because we have to kind of ensure lane closure um, for the construction activities. But we, most of the time, we're just trying to keep one lane open. But, you know, at the very beginning of the uh, project's uh, construction, before construction start, we we actually reach out to, um, you know, the media and, you know, put all those information on our website. We put up um, signage um, along 19th Avenue and um, there's boards. Um, people can kind of see our construction timelines and every week we're trying to update the web our website with our construct upcoming construction activities. Um, we also show our kind of like alternate routes map on our website to kind of give the, you know, the residents, you know, some information about, you know, which are they can take. Um, more importantly, on those signage, we also try to tell people how much delay they will be expecting on the on the street. So if they're okay with the delay, then obviously they can take 19 Avenue. But you know, otherwise, they can they can choose to take alternate routes. Um, so you know, it, it's it's really hard to um, prevent any type of impact, but we are trying to minimize them and also trying to like communicate with people and inform them ahead of time. Great, thank you, Carol. Mm -hmm. uh, question for Paul. Uh, in areas that have a lot of businesses as well as residential um, residential buildings on the same block, like Haight or Market Street, uh, are the needs, tastes, and schedules of these groups um, that are different ever in conflict? And how do you uh, think we should work to make these projects fit the needs of all of these competing groups who uh, are all occupying the same kind of area? Yeah, great question. For the Upper Hate project, um, what we did was we worked with our contractor to have smaller work zones. So yes, the the, the different needs can um, of the different kind of businesses or residents can affect, you know, kind of how we want to sequence the construction. Um, but we had a very close partnership with our construction team, um, and you know when we we did small pockets of zones, so maybe only two entrances at a time. And whenever we did, you know, impact these businesses or residents, we would leave a, a ramp or some other way to even um, have the front door accessible um, so that you could still get in and out. Um, and, you know, we tried to minimize the amount of time that it would have to be fully shut off. So maybe a few hours here and there, you know, when we're uh, removing the sidewalk. And then again, when we're placing the wet concrete for the sidewalk, but then at all other times you should basically have access. It's not ideal, but, you know, we'd have a, ADA compliant ramp where you could get from, you know, the path to travel into the entrance. Um, and then like Carol and some, and Mike have mentioned that, you know, um, reaching out very early. And like you mentioned early with, with a pretty concrete plan um, really helps. I think a lot of people are accommodating as long as it's not, you know, last minute. And, you know, we, we have our normal notices, our three day or 10 day and our 72 hour notices that go out to the businesses and residents. But, 
that little personal touch of, you know, whether it's the, the public information officer just going door to door to, to let folks know that it's actually coming and it's going to happen and what to expect um, on certain projects if there's, uh, or certain entrances or doors or, you know, business fronts, if there's like a um, porcelain facade, you know, could we go just an extra step to protect those areas? Um, definitely goes a long way. It's, you know, dollars that can go and save, you know, a lot of time and effort from all the headache that it could cause. So kind of just being a, um, people know at the end of the day, they'll, they'll get a nice product and we want to make sure it's, it's implemented and installed correctly. Um, and they're usually willing to kind of help out with that as long as we're open and upfront. Thank you for that insight. Okay, I think we have uh, time for one or two more questions. Uh, this next question is for Mike from Tony. Um, how can the city and the CBDs work together um, to be better partners on projects um, like the ones we discussed? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great uh, question. Um, you know, the biggest thing I would emphasize is that the community benefit districts in the city um, are essentially neighborhood representatives. Um, and we have very close ties to business and residents um, and even visitors and tourism within the neighborhoods of San Francisco. And so, you know, I think with any capital improvement project, um, if you come to the CBDs early, um, we can do outreach on behalf of the city, uh, put you in touch with certain neighborhood groups that need to know what's about to happen. Uh, we can help host public meetings and be a, a member in public meetings um, and really get the word out and show support for the projects. Um, additionally, with uh, any capital improvement project, as I, I tried to show in, in some of these projects, um, if there are elements that would not typically be done by the city because the, there's a, a larger maintenance burden with such items, that can be something that is discussed with the CBD because the CBD has capacity to go above and beyond city baseline. Um, and so, you know, with these projects, for instance, like Harrison uh, and Folsom and Second Street to some degree, um, the CBD will ultimately be taking over uh, landscape maintenance responsibility of the smaller, more detailed sidewalk landscaping. Um, and so, you know, you're just going to get a better product in the long run um, and things that people in other neighborhoods um, maybe don't get to experience as much, unfortunately. Um, but if you have a CBD in place, you can go above and beyond and get that, you know, a uh, nicer touch in some regards. Great, thank you. And I guess just to uh, wrap it up, there was a question uh, regarding the selection of public art that's included in streetscape projects. Uh, if anybody would like to jump in and just share um, if you've been involved with a project that's incorporated uh, street, ele street art elements, um, share a little bit about what the process is like for that. I can jump into a degree. Um, you know, a lot of my experience with art on the streetscape projects was while I had my time at Public Works. And, um, you know, in street projects, there's varying capacity for public art. I know that um, some projects in the past, I think the Castro Streetscape uh, worked with the Public Art Commission uh, to do the bronze plaques, I believe. Um, but on other projects, uh, our in-house or Public Works in-house designers in the Landscape Architecture Group designed a lot of the art that you'll see on streetscapes, including gateway features. 
um, or any naming that you see on streetscapes. And so you try to prioritize those items for where you really want to create emphasis in the neighborhood. It could be like a gathering spot uh, or some node of an intersection that you want to highlight. Um, and so, you know, I think that's generally the approach. If there's extra funding available, obviously you can work towards RFPs for artists to implement features. I know that uh, Upper Hate, I think, had some public art as part of the project, um, which I'm sure Paul could speak to. Yeah, I think that the challenge we have, and it's great that we have partners like Mike at the CBD, is um, we want to install things that can last but also be maintained. And, you know, we kind of have a, have a palette of what we can do pretty quickly. And then, you know, if it's something too custom or too special and it's hard to procure, um, you know, replacement parts or different ways of maintaining it, um, that's always something that we, we need to factor in when we're, when we're thinking about these, you know, different types of art that would go into the projects. Great. Yeah. Um, can I also add, you know, maybe a one more comment? Um, you know, so I totally agree with what Mike and Paul mentioned regarding public art. And, you know, we, we try to work with the uh, local community groups to try to come up with, you know, design for the decorated pause blocks and, you know, benches and some of the custom benches that they want and some of the other cultural identification elements that they would like. But, you know, from time to time, it's really hard to kind of implement like a, you know, irregular shape of type of pu public art on public right of way, especially in addition to like maintenance concerns. Um, there's also the permit concern because sometimes, you know, when we were told um, from BSM is like the sidewalk is actually maintained by the fronting property owners and, you know, whether the property owners will, is willing to kind of take on that as, you know, the, as their future liability or, or it will be an organization. And it's kind of hard for a nonprofit organization to kind of take on that type of um, feature. Um, so unless it's like in coordination and partnership with the Arts Commission that, you know, they can kind of help, um, you know, you know, kind of take on those type of communication or maintenance or, you know, discussion with the, the artist. Otherwise, it's kind of, you know, hard to introduce public art on every single streetscape project. Try to work with the community to come up with custom design on the elements that we wanted to introduce on streetscape projects. So we do have some, you know, custom cultural identification. Great. Thank you, Carol. And I think that about wraps up our Q&A. So thank you again to all of our panelists for sharing their insights and expertise with us today about streetscapes. And thank you to each and every one that joined us today uh, for this Snapshots Live. Uh, please join us uh, at our next Snapshots Live event on the third Thursday of the month, which will be October 21st uh, for our next edition of Snapshots Live. That theme will be uh, shared over the, in the next few weeks. So look out for that. Also, don't forget um, by attending today's session, you're eligible to uh, have earned an hour of training. So don't be, uh, don't forget to log that into your training tracker. Again, thank you everyone for joining us and have a great rest of your afternoon. <laughs>